Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Assembly Coworking Space. Assembly has been home to some of Calgary's brightest tech startups and small businesses for almost a decade. If you're looking for a co-working space, check out assemblycs.com. Hey loyal listeners, I'll be hosting this episode myself. I've been involved in software development for more than 25 years. I've started companies, led companies, and worked for companies, doing many different things. I'm honored to be considered a leader in Alberta's innovation ecosystem, and I give back as much and as often as I can. When I'm not working or podcasting, you'll find me pursuing my passions of photography, crypto investing, and woodworking, along with the occasional round of golf. Join me to learn the origin story of the greatest developer meetup ever created and the nerd who's responsible for it, the one and only Tony Grimes. Check it out. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. My special guest today is Tony Grimes. Tony, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. So, Tony, you are a very interesting, experienced software developer. You have gone so far as to take your career into the education realm where you teach at SATE as an adjunct instructor for JavaScript, HTML, and CSS classes, which is awesome. But you're also the founder of uh, a group in Calgary called Pixels and Pints. So before we get into all that, I'd kind of like to hear the Tony Grimes origin story, if you don't mind. I'd like to know how you got where you are today. How far back? (laughs) (laughs) Probably after teething, at least. Well, if we start at the beginning, I guess I was born and raised Albertan, but mostly in Brooks. So I I grew up in Brooks. That's uh, what I consider my hometown. And I don't know, actually, it's kind of interesting. I've been taking care of my mom and we did a kind of a series of recordings and not really a podcast, but just getting her stories on the record and everything. And she's been telling me like how we actually ended up out here because my reserve is in Ontario and I don't really have a lot of contact with my family. And it turns out like she really didn't like the reserve. So she moved out here when she was really, really young and met my dad out here. And it kind of just ended up, we ended up in Brooks because my dad had a job teaching. So I guess now I'm a fourth generation teacher, third generation teacher now. And he was teaching in Tilly when they found out about me. And I was like, well, this is this is where we're going to stay for a while. And that's kind of where I started. So Brooks kind of has a weird reputation now, but that was, it's mostly like industry related and immigration related and everything. But that happened after I left. And yeah, I grew up in, in Brooks, loved it. And, you know, not a whole heck of a lot to talk about there. You, know, you grow up, you have run into friends. I had a really great group of five friends that we kind of helped each other out, protected each other in junior high, high school. And I was, you know, just middle of the road popularity. Like everybody just kind of like ignored me. So I kind of just floated through and played mostly basketball and Marvel superheroes, a little Warhammer 40K. So I I was more on the nerd side for sure, like my whole life. And graduated, 
took a year off and got the best job I ever had, which is going to surprise a lot of people. I worked at the meatpacking plant at uh, Lakeside and on the cleanup crew. And yeah, that was just, you know, graduate high school. The idea was always to go to university eventually, but you know what? I'm going to take a year off. And it was just this thing that I did. And a buddy of mine was working there. So I applied, got under the cleanup crew and probably all of my best stories and all of my best anecdotes come from that job because it, it's just the the weirdest thing. The things that you do in a meatpack and plant have like no relation to <laughs> the real world. You talk about racing forklifts in the cooler and you have high pressure hoses for water fights and, you know, all the gross stuff too, which never really bothered me. And I did that for about a year and the, you know, almost stayed. I, I got to admit, I they offered me, they wanted me to be a manager and everything and I really enjoyed it. But just something in the back of my head just told me that wasn't the right uh, direction for me. So luckily for me, I'm Bill 31 status Indian. So we get, you know, quote unquote, free education. So back then you would get uh, a free bachelor's, a master's and a PhD. And I, I took advantage of that. So I thought my mom did all of this, but when we were interviewing and she told me that I was the one who actually did all of that, she didn't even know what my plans were. And when I think back, I don't even know if I applied for any other university than the UFC. But regardless, I got in and I moved up here. And the plan was for me to move in with my dad because he was living up here at that time. And I think that was the reason why I only uh, applied to UFC because I just you know wanted to live with him for a while. My parents had split up. He'd moved away like when I was five or something like that. He was the summer dad. Pretty awesome dad. Uh, pretty crazy dude. He was a birthday clown, uh, Santa Claus. He did a lot of uh, community theater. And uh, he worked in group homes for his, uh, what he called his backup career. Because when you're a male, you can work in group homes and work with uh, violent clients and stuff. And you've always got a job, right? So he was doing that when I moved up. I was going to move in with him, but you know things didn't work out. I just got my own place. And yeah, I just kind of bounced around, did my did my time, so to speak, at the at the UFC. And that's where, you know, my whole life just kind of kind of unfolded, I guess. I didn't really know what was what was going to be happening, but I graduated in 94 like at a high school, came into university in 95, and I didn't really know the difference between RAM and a hard drive back then. Well, did you know you were going to get into something technical or did you fall into that? My goal was to actually go to med school. So I, I knew I wanted to do something in science. And one of the really great things about having your education paid for, and I had a living allowance, and they paid for my books, they, they did all of that. And even if I got a job, they didn't care. So when I got a job, I still got to keep all that money plus my living allowance. So I approached university a lot differently than everybody else. I didn't really have a plan. I was just roaming. So I, I took a lot of, uh, well, at the end of it, I ended up with two minors because of all of the extra courses I took. And I just kind of roamed, but I had, I always had this idea, you know, I wanted to go for status. I wanted to go for the money and everything and went into biology. I was looking at the different types of careers that I, I could do in science. And after research, you know, chemistry was my thing. I, I loved chemistry, but there's no jobs in chemistry unless you go into the oil and gas industry or pharmaceuticals. So 
I decided, you know what, let's try this med school thing. So I was in biochemistry and just did, you know, the genetics and, you know, I, I managed to get out of the math. I only had to do calculus. I, I managed to dodge all of the English classes and just did pure science all the way through. And about two or three years into my degree, I, I was a photographer at that point, and I just ran into uh, somebody on a protest march who was also a photographer, and he said, you know what, you're going to university, just go to, go to the, your newspaper and become a photographer. They'll give you all the film that you want, and they'll give you assignments, and you can go off and, and you know, just work on your craft. And I was like, awesome. So as soon as I got back from that, I went to the gauntlet and became a photographer for the gauntlet. And that was my introduction into computers. Like I took computer 20 in high school, you know, I wrote some basic, but it wasn't really, you know, computers never really clicked for me. I didn't really get it. And also it was pre-internet back then. So, or pre-web. And I just basically got really into the photography and scanning my negatives and learning Photoshop and all of that, became a photo editor and did my year. And at that point, like being an editor is pretty sweet at the gauntlet because you get, you got the, a key to the office, which is basically the biggest locker on campus. Right. So I wanted to keep that, but I didn't want to do photo editor again. So my co-ed Mike, we both, we both felt the same way. And we decided, okay, well, I can't write. I'm, I'm not a good writer, so I can't do news editor or anything like that. And I kind of looked over, and there's all, these three guys who are always uh, came in after production night, and they were the web editors, and they would put everything online. And I just kind of went over to them and just said, this is actually Tyler Shandro actually was, the, was one of the editors. So he, he actually taught me a lot of web. And he just kind of told me, well, yeah, we just you know take the newspaper in, in PageMaker, and we copy and paste it into Adobe Go Live, and then we FTP it up to the server, and then we're done. So it was all static HTML. There's no database, no anything. And I was like, you know what? I, I think I could do that. So me and Mike, we, we ran for web editor, and we, we won. And that was my introduction into web development and fell in love with it right out of the get-go. Got my first job off the UFC job board and worked for PPDM, the Public Petroleum Data Model Association. And as a webmaster, that's what we, what, that's what they called us I back remember then. that Yeah, title. the webmaster that moniker. Title. Yeah, because they didn't really know what web was. So, well, you're the master of it, so we'll just call you that. And it was 16 bucks an hour, which was twice what I was making at, at the meatpacking plant, which I thought was already like really good, eight bucks an hour back then. And I, you know, if... If it was if it was just that, I probably would still do the the med school thing. But in my early twenties, my arches fell because I had flat feet, and that was a big life changing thing for me. Like I had to give up running and, and a bunch of other stuff. And then I realized, you know, med school is a lot of standing up, you know, eight twelve hours a day. So I don't think I can do that. So that was the the big push. I, I decided to go down the web dev track. At that point, I'm not sure if I wanted to do that for a living. But it kind of got to the point where, you know, I just got this one job with PPDM and from there it was a trade association. So the way you probably know how boards work, you know, everybody kind of works on different boards, word gets out, people, people heard about me. So all of my clients, I just got calls from, you know, one client after another. 
And I was doing it part-time with, with PPDM at school. But then when I, once I graduated, I uh, took a graveyard shift at an at a autistic home for, for children. And I just did graveyards. So I had my little iBook. And this is back when they didn't have Wi-Fi. So I hacked my flip phone for 15 megs of data a month and basically just kind of learned how to build a web server off my laptop because there wasn't a connection and everything. And I, I kind of built my company. I, I just did that for about a year after I graduated. And I ended up with a degree in environmental biology, minor in chem, uh, a minor in psych. And it was just, just a culmination of all the different courses that I took. Got that degree, never did anything with it. I went straight into the graveyard shift and worked on, on my business. And from PPDM, I got CAPLA, the Canadian Association of Petroleum Land Administrators. From there, I got CAPL, Association of Land Men, PODs, Pipeline Open Data Society, IRWA. So all the, all the petroleum trade organizations kind of hired me as their web developer. And I became just the guy that built event registration stuff, how to do membership renewals. And this was all PHP back then. I worked for the movie Poster Shop and, and my partner there, he's the one who taught me how to code. So that was when I made the jump from HTML, CSS, just static, to going from Perl to PHP and loved it, loved it, loved it a lot. And I really quickly, like maybe two or three years down the road, I, you know how it goes. You, you gradually get enough clients that you can work full time. But then the feast or famine cycle kind of crushes you at the top and stars you at the bottom. So I just got more and more clients and it got to the point where I had to hire help. And I hired my, my first engineer right out of uh, university, out of the UFC. And we worked together. We both coded. And this was when we were building the Capel system, which was all like just a homegrown event registration, membership renewals, all of that. And right around halfway through that project, this was my, my first big project. They, they signed a contract for 30000 And it was just, oh, okay, I can quit. So I, I quit my job. We did that. About halfway through that, that project, at some point, I was kind of like looking at Andrew's code and I was looking at my code. And he's the engineer, so his code was way nicer. And he was actually working harder to work around the way that I was doing it. It's like, you know what, Andrew, like, let's hire another developer. You handle that stuff. I'll just handle the company. And this was probably around 2004, 2005. And that was kind of the start of me just being uh, the business owner. And I, I did less and less coding, I got to admit. And I loved it. I loved it a lot. But, you know, just for the good of the company, the good of the project, I, I just stepped aside because, you know, I was book learned. I learned from the PHP cookbook. I didn't have any idea what a framework was or design patterns or any of that uh, stuff that Andrew had. So I gave him the wheel of the development side of it. And it worked really well because I was the client liaison. I managed the projects. I scoped everything out. And I was pretty good at that. And Andrew and the other devs, they didn't like dealing with clients as, as devs usually don't. So it was really nice. You know, I just kind of managed everything. Did that for basically all of my career. And, and the, the whole thing, I think at my peak, we had maybe four or five full-time devs, I think. We had uh, PPDM, Trudy over at PPDM. She was my first mentor. She kind of showed me the ropes, 
how to write a contract, how to kind of cover your butt. Most importantly, how to ask for money, like how to structure payments and everything and, and make sure that, you know, at the bottom of every email, like this is not a fixed quote, you know, I'm going to bill hourly, invoice monthly, all of that. And loved it a lot until I got really scared. What was it? It was, I lost one of my clients to IRM, which was a local, I guess a, a SaaS, a, a software as a platform kind of thing uh, for membership renewals and events and all the things that I did. But they had a platform where they only had to pay like 2000 a month or 3000 a month or something. And I lost this contract that I was negotiating, which would have been like an $80,000 contract. And they went with these other guys and scared the the living poop out of me, right? Like, wow. And the worst part was that I was thinking through and like, you know what? I would have done the same thing. Like, why would they spend 80K on, on custom software when they could just go with somebody else and just go piecemeal? So that was when I made a pivot into a more conventional software and we turned into a WordPress shop. And I didn't know it then, but that was the beginning of the end for me. I just kind of, I lost a lot of the, you know, all the fun was out of it. We're really, you know, we're not coding a lot. There's not a lot of work for custom plugins, that kind of stuff. So the, the whole, like right around at that point, that's when I started Pixels. And that was enough for me to, enough distraction to kind of go into other things. We got, you know, we got work out of it, but you know, there's this kind of period in time where I was very distracted. You know, I wasn't quite into what the company was doing. It was making money. It was keeping people uh, fed and everything, like my devs and everything. But really, you know, Pixels really kind of took over. I went through this whole kind of phase where all I could think about was events. So did a lot of meetups. So we did Pixels, which was the the one I'm most well known for. But I also did a, a board game meetup, so we we had that going. It was a, a settlers meetup, got Woodfield Game League, and I started a podcast meetup. I did a, a few, and I just kind of got more and more into the public speaking kind of thing, bringing my mics to everywhere and hosting people in a room and everything. And th- that was, those were back in the days when Melrose was still around and. And basically, everybody had their events down on that on that second floor. And all all this time that I'm kind of going off on my own little trek, you know, the business is doing less and less well every year. And I, if I had to do it over again, I probably would have shut down the company sooner than I did. But you know what? All my devs, I made sure that they they all landed softly. We gradually went from four devs down to three devs down to two and then after a while it was just me and andrew and then he left and i brought on another business partner and but by then it was too late like i was i was just kind of not into it but luckily for me when just from the the whole pixels thing you meet a lot of people i got to be known as the person who knows people which uh, really came in handy and i met dan stevenson who was one of the instructors over at SATE. And even before this, I was I already down the road because that's basically what I did for my company is I would uh, spin people up. Like Andrew, he was uh, right out of school. He knew what he was doing and brought on other devs who had already had coding experience and they were devs. But at some point, I began hiring straight out of, out of SATE. 
So I would take practicum students and I would train them up and I would teach them how I would do things and, and, and that kind of thing. And I really enjoyed it. And teaching had always been in, in the back of my head because of my dad. He's the one who convinced me not to go into traditional teaching. He just said that the paperwork takes all the fun out of it. And so I, you know, I took his word for it and I just kind of went my own route, but it was always in the back of my mind. And I just kind of, by then, by the time I met Dan, I had already hired, like maybe gone through two or three rounds of, of practicum students and I really enjoyed it. So basically I would bring them on at a really low rate. I would train them up to the point where, you know, they're making 40, 50 bucks an hour. And then because I knew, I think subconsciously that, you know, this isn't the place for you. I'm, I'm not going to become a billionaire, you know, doing this. I don't, I don't know how lo- much longer I'm going to be doing it. So I just made sure that they landed softly when they got bored of it, or if I completely encouraged them to look for other positions and, and keep their eyes open. So there's actually a couple of them are working for Evans Hunt now. Andrew moved out to Victoria, and he's also working for a Doug, who was my business partner at the time. So everyone is actually doing really well. And, you know, after a while, I, I met Dan and he introduced me to the whole like official teaching kind of thing. And, you know, the rest is history. Now I'm, you know, I'm just at SATE now. I'm, I'm also working with contractors. So that's where I met you. Well, actually, I don't, can't remember where I met you. I met you at a, a, definitely at a lunch without lunch. And somebody told me, they like gripped me by the shoulders and they said, you have to meet Al. And, and he, he just point, she just pointed like over there in the corner and I, I like, you know, shook your hand and everything. And I, I don't think we actually spoke for another year after that. I do remember attending Pixels and Pints though. I do remember attending that and seeing how successful and, and big it was. Like the, the Pixels and Pints attendees, they love you and they love that event. It just felt like you joined into somebody's group of friends only there was like Tons of them. <laughs> yeah. That was the funnest part about running events is they do all the work for you. Your job is to create the room, you know, set the, the guidelines. They're not, you know, explicit. We don't have rules of like this has to be a safe space. You just make it a safe space by having it be a safe space, right? And that was one of the things that I'm fairly good at is the talking and the charisma and and all of that. So that was a lot of fun. It was just kind of figuring out how do I set up the environment so that this group of people can be at their best. And so there's a lot of tips I I picked up over the years because we started, see, we're in the 12th or 13th year now, you know, we started in vicious circle which was just on 1st Street and 11th Avenue. And we started with bench tables because there was only maybe 12 to 15 people that showed up every, every, and that was a trick, every month, without fail. You always do it every month. You have to have that repetition. And that's one of the secrets there is that that inner circle, that, that atmosphere doesn't come out from nowhere. It doesn't come out of a vacuum. You have to have that, that rhythm, that heartbeat, Every month they're, they're coming in and they're gradually getting to know each other. And that builds trust. So at the core of trust is, is repetition in some way. And the, the other half of it is, the, is picking a good room, having a, having a good, nice room to, to have people uh, interact in. 
And at the beginning, when we only had 15 people a month, you know, I had no street cred. The the bars were always great, but, you know, we are just one of, you know, many people. This is at the heyday of, of Meetup. So they would assign us a bench table, those big, huge, long stand-up tables. And it took it didn't take very long for me to realize that, that that's not a, a good way to organize an event because it's it's a crapshoot. You roll the dice when you sit down on whether or not you're going to be having a good time because you're with those people the entire night. You know, what if you, you know, sit next to somebody who's a crumb bum or something? So we we did that for a while and after Vicious Circle, I moved over to the district, which is where Last Best is right now. And again, they put us in bench tables all the time. And we didn't really key into this whole thing until that venue. I began looking for other venues. Okay, let's find a place that doesn't have bench tables. And we went to the Hop and Brew. And, and that's when we really hit our stride because I, I learned about edges, you know, the, the whole how to design an environment. You have short tables, you have tall tables, you have stand-up areas, and you, you make it so that they have to mingle. So you take away chairs and, and stuff like that. And I think that was a, a big part of it, was that, that camaraderie that everyone got. By the time we got to Hop and Brew, we had uh, a few people who were there like for two years, and then we just gradually built it up. You know, went from 15 to 20 to 20 to 30. And, you know, I think our, our record is the 10th birthday that we had. We had like over 200. And yeah, and the, the secret was really just the the, the format because I'm not one of those detail-oriented people the, the, with the checklists every day. And, and you know, I, I drop balls all over the place. They're, they're, they cover my life. And I knew that going in that if I, like I knew it had to be monthly, but I also knew me, if I have to find a speaker or some kind of agenda item that I have to think about every month. It's not going to happen. So uh, Cody Torgerson, who was doing green drinks, he helped me out. I uh, kind of went to him and said, okay, I want to kind of do this thing. I kind of like how green drinks does it. And he gave me the kind of pointers of like, like basically the entire format of pixels is is because of Cody. And he said, like, start at five. And that way people can come there straight to work, go late, go till nine or 10. That way people can go home and get their dinner and then come back and don't do any agendas. Like there, the, you could like under the green drinks format, you can have a, a max of 15 minutes for, for announcements. And that was it. And the rest is history. Like meetup kept me honest. You gave me that date every month and I had to do it. And after a while, it, all it was, was just me, you know, booking the room and just doing the hosting, just having the name tags available and that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, and then at some point we started doing announcements and that's where the call for talent came in, which I totally stole from Demo Camp. They, uh, they, they were doing that and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that too. I don't know if they called it the call for talent. I think, yeah, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I don't know where that term came from. Yeah, what, what kind of numbers were you getting in those days, uh, kind of like the peak days? That, like It was a pretty big crowd. Yeah, and the peak days would would have been in when we were at Hudson's. So after Hop and Brew, we outgrew the room basically. Anything over fifty was a little bit too tight in in the top floor there, and and also it wasn't um, wheel wheelchair accessible. And we didn't even get to wheelchair accessible until we got to Hudson's. But after that, we went to Rose and Crown, which was a bigger space, and then we kind of grew to about sixty seventy a month. And then 
they did a reno that totally ruined the room that I liked. So we moved over to Hudson's and they gave us the back room, which, you know, never was my favorite room, to be honest. I think Hoppin' Brew was probably my favorite, Rosencrown being a close second. But Hudson's, at that point, it got in- uncomfortable around 85 people. And it was uncomfortable a lot. So that was probably when we hit our peak, I think. And um, it just kind of kind of grew from there. And then, you know, of course, COVID happened. We had the lockdown, so everything kind of shut down. And yeah, and then that's where we're at now. I, I have no idea where we're going to end up now. Yeah, no kidding. Like the, you haven't been able to really have the regular steady meetings. And I've seen some emails go out with information, so-and-so's hiring, if anyone's interested kind of a thing, but you haven't been able to hold that cadence uh, because of the last couple of years. No, when we first locked down, I tried, you know, I did two in a row, just wasn't there. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to force it. So that's when I figured, you know what, if there's at any point that I'm ever going to take a hiatus from Pixels, it's going to be during a world pandemic. So I just kind of like, oh, you know, I'm just going to go with it. And I kept up the week with the emails and everything. And I'm very, you know, up and down on that because like I said, I'm not the, you know, the task oriented, details oriented person. That's one of my regrets from the whole thing is that I should have started with some friends and not be the, the the sole founder. That's where Green Drinks really kind of, I think, hit their stride was that they had four co-founders and they had a, a good mixture of a cross-disciplinary. So basically with me being the only Pixels person, you know, when I get burnt out, there's nobody to, you know, cover up my slack. So, you know, and that basically goes with the seasons of teaching. So I'm just so focused on my program when I'm teaching that nothing else exists, basically. So now I'm kind of getting to the tail end of my current season. So that's where I'm, okay, now it's time to kind of think about pixels. And I'm really bad for only starting up the emails maybe two weeks before I actually have an event. (laughs) Like one of these days, I'm actually going to get my poop together and and get that going. But uh, I'm in no hurry. Well, in all fairness, most of us have a short attention span anyway, so that two weeks is probably just right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's another thing I learned about Calgary. It's a very last minute kind of city, so I, I, I I'm not sure what the the plans are right now. Like we we did some online events, and I, I was very careful not to call them Pixels and Pints, so they're they're branded differently. I don't want any brand dilution in there. Although nobody really understands that, only I notice it. So they're they were called Friday Night Pints in the last few, and it's just a completely different feel. Because with Pixels, the experience level of the room is pretty high, right? We've got a lot of seniors, intermediate, and some juniors because there always is the the idea of finding a job. That's what networking events are kind of all about. But when we did the online ones, because I was a, a teacher, it was mostly my students, Inception U students. It was my SATE students, which is awesome. It's just not the, the type of event that Pixels was known for. So they were named something different. And I think, yeah, you know, just for the audience, like we're at, you know, the March of 2022. So we're just coming up on two years into it. Not sure where we're going to be at for, you know, the ability to pack 80 people into a room, I don't, I don't even know when or if that'll happen in the near future. But 
Yeah, that's that's one of the things that uh, that I kind of miss is, you know, I, I'm ready to get back into it. I'm ready to, to do the monthly events again, but I want to do it when it's right. And when I don't have to worry about being too popular, you know, like when we when we do it, we're going to not be afraid of, of putting a lot of people into a room. And, uh, you know, basically that's out of my hands. You know, it's uh, it all has to do with biology and, and whether or not we build 10 new hospitals or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure if everybody caught the call out, but I think if, if anybody's intrigued and interested in chatting with you about pixels and pints, maybe this is the chance for you to actually build that crew of four or five people that kind of put their brains together and figure this stuff out. So you're not just by yourself. Yeah, this would be a good time to do that because like I said, I'm taking care of my mom. So she's living with me and with her circumstances that if she gets COVID, you know, she's probably a goner. So I, you know, there's no reason to wait for me. Like if, if we're going to do it, we might as well do it without me and, and start fresh and remove my name from it. Because right now that brand is, is entirely tied to my name. And it would be nice to, you know, have a group that can take ownership over that. Like maybe even if we rename it, who knows? But I, I would love to have some extra people to just kind of take over. I'm open to keep doing it as long as people allow me to do it. I'm fully prepared to do it until I retire at the age of 130 or however long we're going to be living in the next couple decades. But it would be nice to kind of share the wealth, you know? It's, it's been a pretty amazing journey, and I think it's something that should be shared with other people for sure. Well, that sounds great. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? We'll add it to the show notes and stuff, but usually uh, people are listening to this maybe while they're bike riding or driving a car or something. What's sort of a good way for them to find you so that they can reach out and chat with you about it? Well, obviously, email is going to be one of the easy ones. My turnaround time for email is actually quite slow. So every few days, I'll check email, especially during school because my students are trained to slack me. But other than that, we have a Discord server for Pixels and just DM me on Discord and, and that's the easiest way. Sometimes, like I check it most every day, but sometimes I don't. But yeah, that's the thing. When I'm, when I'm teaching, there's really no need to interface with the outside world, right? Because, you know, I just, I have 20 to 30 like souls that I'm responsible for. So all my attention goes to them which is unfortunate. Everything else kind of falls to the wayside. But yeah, Discord is a good one. Okay. Well, we'll make sure to have that contact information in the uh, show notes. And then I imagine you're also on LinkedIn at some point. Yeah. That, that one's probably the worst out of them. I, I log in every few weeks. And the first thing I'll do on a, on a message is tell them to email me. Well, thanks so much for your time, Tony. It was an absolute blast hearing your story. I, I've known you for a while now, but I never knew your origin stories. That was really exciting to hear that. And, you know, best of luck with your mom, of course. And I look forward to someday Pixels and Pints being resurrected and going back to its glory, however that might look in the future. Bring the fire extinguishers because we're, we're going <laughs> to... We're going to burn the place down. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's awesome. Thanks, Tony. Thank you, Al. It was a pleasure. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. 
Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by Assembly Coworking Space. If you're looking for a co-working space, check out assemblycs.com. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.